Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, breaking down the barriers to high-performance computing with Alan Chalker from the Ohio Supercomputer Center. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Darren. Hey, this is kind of exciting for me because I don't get to interview people in person very often, but I'm in Columbus, I'm at the Ohio Supercomputer Center, and I get to sit right next to you. This yes. is pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. It's been nice. It's been several years for, since we've been able to do anything quite like this. So, Alan, tell me a little bit about uh, your yourself. You're the director of strategic um, programs, programs. Um, at Ohio Supercomputer. Tell me a little bit about your background, what got you into this first, and then we'll dive in on how you're going to break down some barriers so I can use your HPC cluster. Sure, sure. Uh, so I, I am the director of strategic programs at OSC, which is a, a made-up title. My boss likes to say that uh, he went, uh, he's the executive director of OSC, and he went some of his peer directors and said, what do you call the person who is the catch-all utility infielder that does all the things that don't fit nicely in any of the other managers groups? And that, that's basically what uh, my responsibility is. So there's a, a lot of things are in my portfolio that don't fit nicely in just kind of the other portfolios in terms of, uh, you know, we have a client services group, we have an operations group, things like that. I, I handle a lot of different things, some of which we'll talk about today. Uh, well, so where, where did you come from? You weren't sure. born here at Ohio Super, or were you? you <laughs> so I'm actually an interesting success story uh, when it comes to workforce development and, and stuff. Uh, the, uh, the story goes away. I, I, I was not born in Ohio, but I spent most of my childhood in, in Ohio, in, in, in southwestern Ohio, south of Dayton, Ohio. And uh, when I was a, uh, I'm dating myself, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, this little organization called the Ohio Supercomputer Center was only a few years old. Uh, OSC was created in 1987 and uh, had a summer institute for high school students to learn about supercomputers. And I was the third year, third class of that program. And my colleagues like to make the uh, Oh, you statement. were born here. Then. Yeah, I know. They like to make the statement that uh, they made the mistake of letting me in the building way, way back in the early 90s. <laughs> and like a bad penny, I keep coming back. You've so. never, you've never. Now, have you worked in other places? I mean, I obviously, you've worked in other places. Yeah. So I got, my, I got my undergraduate in electrical and computer engineering here at Ohio State University. And then I lived for eight years down in research Park, North Carolina, where I got my doctorate in biomedical engineering from UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, and then uh, my, my wife and I wanted to move back to the Central Ohio area, was looking for opportunities. There was one that opened up here at OSC, and uh, 18 years later, I'm still here. And oh, that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is really awesome. Well, all right, so tell me what's unique about what you guys are doing here, because as, you, as, as I heard about this, on demand and breaking down the barriers. I, I used to be in high performance computing myself back at the turn of the millennium when the global grid forum was kicked off and I was all part of all of that. And, but you guys have something you, you new and unique here. You're kind of making it easier to consume HPC, is that? 
Yeah, um, I think we were just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And so what you're referring to is Open On Demand, uh, which is a, a NSF-funded project that uh, we've been developing for many, many years. It's well over a decade, 15 plus years at this point. Um, and, and so the, the genesis story of that is if you go back to the mid-aughts, uh, these things became really popular, right? iPhones and, and cell phones and, and general consumers became comfortable with doing things online, online banking, online shopping, things like that. Well, inevitably, they, those folks started coming to supercomputer centers and research computing centers and saying, hey, can you make it easier for us? Why do we have to do all the you know command line stuff like you see in the hacker movies with the green you know text scrolling by? Well, because it gives us geeks like <laughs> exactly. me a job. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Um, and so we uh, we did a, a very first web interface uh, way back in 2006, 2007, with a collaborating company that we have uh, just down the street called Edison Welding Institute, and it was a online welding simulation. Uh, basically, what it did is it took some of the knowledge and workflows they already were doing for their customers using things like Abacus and, and meshing, stuff like that, and encapsulate that in a, a web page. Uh, one thing led to another. We then did a polymer one, then we did a general purpose one. We started, uh, because we're not creative, we, we said, okay, we're going to bundle these together, and we created what we called OSC On Demand. Again, we're, we're techies. We, we oh, can't think course. of, you know. <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, you know, the old adage, no good deed goes unpunished. We started showing that at various conferences in the early teens to our, our peer centers. And they were all like, that's amazing. We've been thinking about doing this. Can we get a copy of your code and deploy it on our system? And we're like, whoa, this is held together with baling wire and, and chewing gum. And, and it's, it's really not very, very robust there. Uh, so we went to the National Science Foundation and proposed uh, a program to them, which they awarded, which was a three-year, uh, $300,000 program to take what we had kind of prototyped at OSC and make it open source available to the community. And again, we're not creative, right? So we it was OSC On Demand. What are we going to name it? Let's call it Open On Demand. Open On Demand. Um, nice. A few years after that, again, you know, success just uh, results in more success. We went back to the NSF, uh, got an extension, a five-year program, $3 million. Nice. And now here here we are in, in 2023. Uh, Open On Demand is kind of the de facto standard now. It's deployed at 400-plus research computing institutions, every continent except Antarctica. I really want to get it at Antarctica. So if somebody can help me get into the NSF data center uh, there at McMurdo, I'd love to hear from you. You you want to go and visit, don't you? There you go. I do. I do want to visit. I will personally <laughs> ensure that it, it gets installed correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm familiar with, with uh, high-performance computing, right? Sure. I'm like, so when you talk about on-demand, you're not talking about, oh, I have a job and I'm going to go schedule it on there. You're going a level above that. Yes, exactly. The, the, what um, on-demand does is it's providing that web interface to the what you already have on those systems. So, you know, one of the issues, if you look at a lot of uh, students now in, in college and even grad school, they've grown up 
not knowing laptops. They've grown up with iPads and cell phones, and they they don't know command lines. They don't. I even, know that's a shame. It is. It is. But it's, I mean, we could even get into debate <laughs> debate on VI or Emacs in this discussion. Yes, we could. <laughs> oh, right. hey, I'm Nano all the way. Okay. Oh, Nano. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So yeah, this is an interesting concept because I've seen it with my own kids. As they're moving into the yeah. into the workforce in computer science and electrical engineering, I did a poor job. I didn't teach them Linux. They're, yeah, they don't know the command line. They're like, "Where's the Where's the interface?" Exactly. I'm like, well, you actually use the keyboard yeah. on your on your laptop. Yep. So that's a big problem that that this is helping overcome. That's exactly right. It's you know we we like to say any device anywhere. I've got video of me logging into the OSC instance of on-demand from my in-car browser on my Tesla car awesome. and running Jupyter and MATLAB in my Tesla. I mean, it's literally, uh, we, I, I like to say, we, we actually several years ago saw a grad student send us a picture. The grad student was sitting in a, a bar with their cell phone in one hand logged in, monitoring some jobs they were running and a pint of beer in the other hand. Now, at least here in Ohio, it's not illegal to drink and compute, but we don't necessarily <laughs> condone doing that there. Um, but that's that's what this really does. Is it helps to make it easy to, to utilize these resources. So is it, <clears throat> can it provide, because it sounds like with the Edison welding, when you guys were doing simulations for them, you provided an abstraction layer even above that where they could say, hey, here's my, Mm -hmm. Here's my welding type of simulation mm -hmm. I want to run, and I want to see the results. Yep. So you're providing even above the job scheduling level, That's correct. Right? Yeah. Many of the people that utilize this don't know anything about job, job schedulers or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen an impact. Let's talk a little bit about the, the result of this. Um, this would have been unheard of five, ten years ago, but here at OSC, we've got our, um, anthropology students that are using us, political science professors that are using us. Oh, size using a I know. computer. Horticulture and crop science okay, classes. Well, are, I mean, right. yeah, you know, you so it's really making it really And easy it's because to use. they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't get into the command line, but they're, they're, they all have, all these groups now have data that they need to do stuff with and they need to analyze and, and, and process. And, and we abstract that out. That really is what helpful to them. All right, so it, this is obviously driving up demand for the use of the of the supercomputers mm -hmm. that you guys have. Yep. It, right. I mean, so what are you guys running? Are you guys running out of out of <laughs> compute space? Because I, I can imagine if you open this up to every department in the college, everyone's going to go, "Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to use that." Yeah. So so our our mandate is actually from the state legislature here in Ohio to provide resources to all Ohioans, both academic and private industry. Uh, last fiscal year, we had 8,500 individuals utilize our systems. Wow. Uh, those are from about four, nearly 400 distinct organizations uh, it, all over the world, actually. All over the world. And one, one of the cool things about it is that it does, so, and another one of these being in the right place at the right time. Well, we were in the right place at the right time back in the, the, the late aughts. We were also really in the right place at the right time during the pandemic. Because I, I can't tell you the number of institutions just yes, just just last week, um, I heard from an institution that said it was so wonderful that we had on-demand installed at the start of the pandemic because so many students couldn't go onto campus and access oh. computer labs, and they could get virtual desktops through on-demand on our systems. You know, it it, it it just helped so many universities continue to teach and research 
while the pandemic was going on, people couldn't be in person. And nowadays it seems like, of course it's obvious. You know? yeah, no, no, Why no, do you need no, to be no. on campus? Yeah, exa exactly. This is this is a really huge success story. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So pricing models, if you can talk about it. If oh, not, sure, we won't. I mean, because this is not a cloud. This is a supercomputer. This is not, oh, I'm going to go, right? So are you guys using... I, and, and maybe we can go all the way back to SunGrid Engine. I know you know who they are. <laughs> yeah. And when they first started, they had a uh, business model that didn't do very well because they were charging on traditional HPC uh, charges, which is CPU time, not clock time. So are you guys doing the old so, CPU time? I mean, how do you charge yeah, let, yeah, let for talk. use And I do want to emphasize that Open on demand itself, no charge, fully open source. So any site, anybody can deploy it. There's no cost associated with that. That's you know that's not that. But here at, o at OSC, uh, we do have uh, uh, pricing set for we we charge for core hours and we charge for terabyte months. Uh, one of the nice things about uh, what we're able to do is because we are so highly subsidized by taxpayer dollars. If you are an Ohio-based academic entity. Basically, eighty percent of of your cost is subsidized by taxpayer dollars. So, you know, we we know down to a thousandth of a penny how much a core hour cost, you know, right, on yeah. our systems, and and we can we can charge for that. The other nice thing about this is because we're the government and have a mandate to provide an industry, we can set whatever price we want for commercial industry, and so. You know, we, I like to say we were the cloud. We are the cloud. We were the cloud before the before cloud. Before the cloud, was, yeah, was, no, yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, we 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 had last year we had something like fifty or sixty active commercial uh, accounts that utilized us. Some names that you'd recognize, uh, folks like Procter and Gamble and Honda, names that you wouldn't recognize, uh, and we deliberately set our pricing to undercut the commercial clouds. Now we well, you guys do a different type of work. That's exactly right. right? Yes, yeah. So okay. there are a lot of times where somebody comes to us and says, can I do this? We say, no, you really need to go to one of the cloud providers. You don't want to run an email server. Exactly, exactly. But if you want to do large scale, I mean, um, one of our, our and, and some of our clients we can't talk about, some of them we can. Right. Um, we, we, we do release uh, case studies. One of our largest clients is a company called Spire. They um, have a fleet of micro satellites orbiting the earth. And they are doing weather modeling for of the entire Earth, mainly for like transportation companies, shipping companies. Because you know, sure, you can get a weather model of what's going to happen here in Ohio. You know, we had right. we had tornadoes yesterday. We knew that. If you're in the middle of the Pacific, but if you're a shipping company, you want to know that. If you're yeah. an airline, you want to know that. Um, so they're a good example of a customer that they've got that data coming in, and the weather. Uh, forecasts that they are providing to their clients every four to six hours are being generated on our systems. Um, okay, so these are pretty traditional mm -hmm. high-performance computing workloads that you're running in your mm -hmm. clusters. Have you seen any new or emerging ones because now it's easier to use that you're like going, I never would have thought, but it totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so uh, I mentioned earlier the PolySci. Uh, yeah, fascinating, but, yeah. fascinating um, studies that were done a few years ago, right? You know, after the pandemic started, where uh, one of the Ohio State researchers was analyzing the tweets 
of congressional members relative oh, to COVID, of course, yeah, <laughs> and doing all kinds of interesting analysis around the language that was used, depending upon what party somebody was in, and all of that stuff. That, that that's one of those ones. Who would have thought? But yeah, you know, no, yeah. you know, the intersection of HBC and Twitter and COVID. I mean, who, who would you know? Who would have thought there? Um, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, uh, anthropology and, and uh, horticultural and crop sciences. I mean, we've got folks that are developing new models. So Ohio is an agricultural state. It's, it's known as, you know, an agricultural state. And one of the things that's very commonly grown here are soybeans. And there are issues with things called crop rot, certain uh, fungus diseases that infect the field. And so, you know, there's all kinds of interesting analyses that researchers are doing around trying to co combat crop rot, try to, you know, breed new strains that are resistant to that. And so that's the kind of thing. Who would have thought that people were doing that on our system, yeah, on no, supercomputer systems? That's pretty cool. So um, if I were to determine, because you've made it easier to consume, mm -hmm. just and and that's why the cloud took off. Let's just yeah. be brutally mm -hmm. honest, right? Yeah. They took the stuff we did back at the turn of the millennium yeah. with uh, grid computing, and they made it easy mm -hmm. to consume with a really kick-butt um, business model that made them tons of money, Yep. right? All right, so if I'm looking at, um, now we've made it easy to consume HPC, and if I'm looking at work I'm doing right now, what sort of characteristics would I have in my workloads that would say, I need to go to one of the high performance computing centers in the United States or um, yeah. Ohio's supercomputer center and say, I'm gonna run my workload. I'm, I'm gonna be a bit glib here and say anything. I mean, I'm gonna give you a, a, a precise example of why I really say anything. Um, several years ago, this is, eight years ago or so. I've lost track of time because of the pandemic. It might right, be 10, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, uh, we were out talking to a, a company here in Ohio that manufactures plastic bottles, like your water bottles, your disposable water bottles. And we were just kind of talking to them uh, about, well, do you need to, you know, maybe we could provide a service to you. And their engineers were like, no, 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 we're all good. And I was like, okay, well, just tell us a little bit about what your workday looks like. And, and one of the engineers said, well, I've got this nice beefy workstation right here. Um, I need to, and I'm, I'm trying to design new models. I need to come up with my new mesh of a new model by about 5 p.m. so that I can start the solver running overnight. because it's got to run overnight so that it's ready at 9 a.m. the next day. And then I can look at it and analyze this. And, you know, but it's all good. And I was like, what if we could help you instead of running that overnight we run that over your lunch break or a coffee break and to them it was like well that's not even possible yes it is that that's that's the kind of thing so really if there's any type anything that you do that you are saying that you batch up over you batch up time limited or you're not looking as many parameter sweeps as you want to because you oh you just can't handle it or you you know there's too much data and you have to be throwing stuff away that's all stuff that's ripe for high performance computing and research computing capabilities and and since you've made it easy <clears throat> easy to do now this is going to be so so much uh accessible um so all right next next question i have do you see the demand growing 
huge enough where you're going to have to add more capacity? We're constantly adding new capacity. Oh, yeah. you are? Okay. Yeah. So, so right now we have about 55,000 cores, all Intel, by the way. I'll well, mention. thank you very well, actually, much. I'm sorry, take that. We have 53,000 Intel cores. We have 2,000 from another company. That okay. We just, I forgot that we just got those two or three months ago. <laughs> um, we, we have about 400 uh, accelerators, and that's spread across about 1,600 nodes. Uh, we're about to do a new acquisition that's probably going to get us up to 75,000, 80,000 cores. Uh, you know, it, it, there's constant demand. The, the, our systems sit regularly at 80% utilization. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, there, there's just, the, the demand is constant. And where it's really growing is in a lot of the biomedical fields. Uh, one of the big growing things that we're starting to have to deal with are things like uh, cryo-EM, so cryo-electro-microscopy. Uh, it's a wonderful tool that's become more and more available to biomedical researchers that generates just volumes of data. And everybody seems to be wanting to analyze that data. <laughs> you, know, you know, hundreds of terabytes are coming out of these, these oh, devices. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that's a big play. Now, how much? How much? Let's talk about data because high performance mm. computing is known for lots of data movement. Yes. Movement. So, how, how how much data are we talking about? Do you guys have? Yeah. Uh, we ha we have about twenty uh, petabytes, or I'm gonna get technical here. About eighteen pibibytes for those of you want to you know <laughs> you know use the binary <laughs> at one. Um, about about uh, about twenty petabytes of actual. Uh, disk storage. So it's a combination of solid state and, and spinning. And spinning, rust. And spinning yeah, yeah exactly. I call it spinning rust. Yes, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, a very, very high performance uh, uh, system. So uh, our, our main high, uh, the bulk of that is on a system that is able to have an aggregate um, somewhere on the order of 350. Uh, gigabits uh, per second of, of, of writing in there. And, oh, wow. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And, and that's important because we need people to be able to process and retrieve and write that data very, very fast. So uh, it's very common for us to have researchers come to us with multi-hundred terabyte data sets that they want to put on our system or, or process, and, and we're happy. It's, it's really funny because all the time, my colleagues and I get new clients coming in and say, well, we've got some really big data. Can you handle it? And we're like, well, tell us what you're being really big, big data. data yeah. you know, and they'll go and they'll say, oh, it's, a, you know, it's about 10 gigabytes. I'm like, okay, when it gets to 100, <laughs> let's talk. You know, I mean, to be frank, every client that comes in, I mentioned 8,500 clients, every client gets a home directory on our systems that's 500 gigabytes that we just give to them. Just Don't even think it, about yeah. it. You know, you know it's, just, it's just there. So it, it it's a different different perspective, but it is it is very very large data sets. Uh, you know, I I was just having a conversation today with somebody who, on a daily basis, they need to bring down or send up uh, close to a hundred gigabytes, uh, and you know they're like, is that going to be a problem? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, we we've got a forty gigabit uh, connection to our main backbone going out of the of the building. I can handle so 100 gigabytes can, a day. You can handle that. Uh, yeah. No, no problem. Well, and that's, a, that's another interesting thing. A big cost in doing high-performance computing is the movement of data, which is very cost-ineffective in nor typical cloud because yep. – 
they charge you for ingress and egress. Yep. Well, egress costs. I always call them the Hotel yeah. California. Yep. Right? You, <laughs> you can can't check, check in, but you can't check, check out. out. Yeah. For you guys, are there egress no. costs? I, All right, so that so that's that's pretty smart, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, the, part of the reason why we're able to have no egress costs is because, um, so so let me go back a little bit to the to the, the founding of OSC. I mentioned earlier, okay. OSC was founded in 1987. And actually, let me tell the, the real story. Uh, the mid '80s, these things called supercomputers (HPCs) really popular. National Science Foundation said, hey, we need to fund some national supercomputer centers, just like we fund radio telescopes right. and Antarctica. You know. So they put out a call to fund some national centers. A group of Ohio faculty members put together a proposal. And for those of you that are in the know, we didn't win. You know, the national centers are San Diego and Pittsburgh and, and, and Illinois. Um, well, those faculty members took that proposal back to the state and said, well, the federal government won't fund it. Will you fund it? And the state said, yeah, this is a good idea. We're going to fund this for the state wow. of Ohio. Um, now, that happened, and they said, okay, we're going to create this entity. Let's put it at Ohio State University here in Columbus in central Ohio. It makes sense. OSU is the largest university in the state. Uh, very shortly thereafter, a lot of the faculty members around the state said, wait a minute, you've created this supercomputer for us, but this thing called the Internet doesn't exist yet. We don't want to have to drive to uh, Columbus to use it. You need to help us out. And the state said, you're right. We're going to create something we call the Ohio Academic Resource Network, ORNET. And the whole purpose of ORNET when it was created in 1987 was literally dial-up modems connected to T1 lines connected to the Cray supercomputer. So researchers at Case Western and University of Cincinnati and, and Miami and Ohio University could dial in That's over so their awesome. yeah. Um, so then that, that was the late 80s. The uh, poor man's ARPANET. You, that's exactly, did, that's right? exactly what it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so then in the, um, uh, the mid-90s, I already mentioned it, this little thing called the internet was invented. We had the dot-com boom right around 2000, dot-com bust. And Ornet had the brilliant idea of basically for pennies on the dollar, buying the rights to fiber that was laid all over the state. So Ornet now has the right to something like uh, 1,600 miles of fiber throughout Ohio and every non-commercial entity in the state. So every university, K through 12 school, hospital, PBS station, state agency, driver's license bureau, they all connect to that backbone. We are, Ornet is the, the main backbone in Ohio that then connects to AT&T and Comcast and Spectrum and all those. But basically, we run a high-level 100 gig to 400 gig backbone here in Ohio, and that's what allows OSC to not charge any type of – because, you know, we, we, we have that connectivity. That's, that's kudos to whoever set that up. Yes. <laughs> that's saving the state and university lots it of is. money. This is truly fascinating. Where do people go to learn more about on-demand or open on-demand or Ohio Supercomputer Center? 
So openondemand.org, it's, it's right over your shoulder there, but they, if people are just listening, they can't see it, you know, so that's, it's all one word, openondemand.org uh, for Open On Demand. And that's for, if you want to see if you're, we, we have on there both, if you're a research computing site that wants to deploy it, but also if you're just a client and want to figure out where can you play around with, or maybe does your research computing site access it? I'll say all the major commercial providers, uh, Microsoft Azure, Amazon, AWS, uh, and, um, uh, uh, why am I Google Cloud? Google Cloud. They all have on-demand uh, available on their sites, so you can. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So if you do openondemand.org/slash/aws, it drops you right into the Amazon on-demand. You can just spin up in, in AWS. Openondemand.org/slash/azure. Openondemand/slash. Oh really? I could just hop on a CSP and start up a cluster. Uh huh. Absolutely. You can. You can spin up. Sure, sure, but you can spin up uh, as you as you want virtual HPCs with on demand and an interface that each of those providers have have created. So that's open on demand. Um, and then if you want to uh, learn more about OSC, uh, Ohio Supercomputer Center, it's uh, osc.edu. And if you go to the, our webpage again, it's not OSU, it's osc.edu. Uh, and the upper right hand corner of the menu bar, there's a, a uh, get access, and it talks a little bit about how to get access to us and and uh, uh, some of the pricing. Associated oh, very with cool. It. This is wonderful. And this has been wonderful to actually sit and talk to a human being instead of just via Zoom. Yes, it's been great. And we're and we're next to each other. Just so everyone so can see, so we can wave. In case everybody thinks that we're faking this, no, we're we're right here. Right. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, I pleasure. Thank you so much for having me do this, Darren. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast. Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.